Welcome back to the Be A Better Ally podcast. On this week, we have special guest, Dr. Medina. If you are following Dr. Jose Medina on Twitter, you might already be familiar with his hashtag Medina Monday message. If you are not familiar with that, but you're on Twitter, uh, just pause the episode right now, search hashtag Medina Monday message. It's a, a great way to familiarize yourself with the important work that Dr. Medina is doing. Without further ado, I'm going to have Dr. Medina introduce himself and tell you a little bit about um, his expansive background and his wide range of experience when it comes to being an educator. Hola, ¿cómo están? Mi nombre es el Dr. José Luis Medina Hernández Franco López Jr. Díaz Cruz. Uh, my preferred pronouns are he, him, his. And I presently serve as the chief educational advocate at Dr. José Medina um, Educational Solutions. It's a, a consulting company, a small boutique educational consulting company that I started almost two years ago. Um, we provide uh, professional development, technical support, and job-embedded coaching to um, teachers and administrators, district leaders, board members in schools and districts around the country, as well as internationally, and um, with a specific focus on the needs of emergent bilingual, multilingual students, but also with a lens on critical consciousness um, and sociocultural competence. Prior to that, I was the director of dual language education, um, as well as the a research scientist at the Center for Applied Linguistics in Washington, D.C., um, Cal, um, is one of the major think tanks in terms of research um, and providing support to those educators that really um, try to work and create access for students that are adding languages to their linguistic repertoire. Prior to that, I was a principal and assistant principal, um, as well as a teacher. And I've been really blessed. I've had an opportunity to serve um, at the elementary, middle school, and high school levels. Um, so I'm one of those weird educators and administrators that really love serving all age levels. Um, as far as something that really excites me most about education, I don't know, you know, um, starting my own consulting company really has given me this new freedom to really, really create disruption um, in the name of equity and social justice in the world of education. And so that really has excited me the most. Um, people have been very receptive to the messages that I share um, and and also to the instructional strategies um, that our team has developed to really meet the needs of um, some of the kids that we really have marginalized and oppressed most in U.S. schools. And so that's exciting, you know, to, to not feel like I have my hands tied, but rather to really speak openly about injustice um, and, and working towards creating a more equitable system of providing educational support to all students, not just some students. And that's why we are so lucky to have you on the show. I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit more about hashtag Medina Monday message, where that idea initially came from and what you are hoping it achieves. And again, listeners, if you have not seen it in action, I really highly recommend pause this podcast, head over to Twitter, uh, search the tag and, and just sort of watch a few of the excellent short videos. That, that are in that space. So I love social media. It's been a, a great platform for me as a learner. And so as I um, started to travel around the country and internationally to provide support to schools and districts, there were educators, um, including teachers, but also administrators that kept telling me, you know, Jose, we really need 
um, like short bits of video of you that we might be able to play um, in faculty meetings, you know, as, as short little um, videos of professional development. And I had used social media as a principal and as a director at the district level with a lot of success. And so I kept thinking, you can do this, ¿verdad? And one of the things that was really, really important for me is that as I created the the Medina Monday messages, that they really were aligned with the latest research and instructional best practice recommendations so that the educators that were listening to it not only received um, instructional strategy and research, but that they were also hopefully inspired to action. And so for me, it's been such an amazing um, tool um, to really allow the message that I'm trying to share to reach as many people as possible. And it's crazy because um, people from all over the world have reached out to me. I have been invited to um, facilitate professional develop in, development in Asia, in Latin America, and of course all over the United States um, based on um, tweets and Instagram posts that I have created in terms of the hashtag Medina Monday message. Um, what do I hope to accomplish? You know, it's really interesting because for me, it really is all about equidad and justicia social, equity and social justice. Um, as a language learner myself, I was immediately identified and labeled when I entered the school system and um, really had a very traumatizing experience as I entered the school system only speaking Spanish. And and even as a as a teenager and then later as a collegiate student and then as a teacher and an administrator, I continued to experience some of that bias that we really, really um, have in terms of those that speak languages other than English. And so for me, my goal in 2020 is to really use whatever privilege I have in terms of having a voice and a, a soapbox to stand on to really talk about the injustices that uh, marginalized communities of students really have to deal with on a daily basis. And so that really makes me um, excited about the future to really engage in that very critical dialogue in terms of what we really should be doing to meet the needs of, of students that, that we really have oppressed for so long. It's a really powerful, important message for all of us in education to keep thinking about. Uh, I'm going to actually quote you back to you. You said, quote, we need to create educational access for those students we have oppressed and marginalized the most, end quote. So I'm wondering, in your view, what might that actually look like for a school to create that kind of access? If you could just sort of paint that picture for us, please. So when I went into school, I was a little bit of a mess. And so um, as a kindergartner, I was kicking and crying and urinating on myself. And um, after several um, weeks, the principal actually told my parents to take me home that I needed to mature. And so I skipped kinder and somebody like myself coming from a home where my parents had an elementary education from Mexico, where um, they didn't know how to advocate for their firstborn child. Um, I mean, I needed that, but my parents didn't know um, what to do and they trusted the school system. And so I skipped kinder. I went back as a first grader and I did the exact same thing. And after several weeks, I got kicked out of first grade as well. This was a public school in El Paso, Texas, in the El Paso Independent School District, um, who is an amazing, that, that is an amazing school district and that I actually am serving now. But, um, you know, they are aware of my testimonio, my, my shared story and um, what happened to me. 
Um, I was then taken to a private school, a Catholic school, where on the first day of school, um, as a first grader there, I did what I always did, which was to kick, punch, bite, um, pee on myself. And um, the difference was that there, um, the principal, who was a nun, had the nurse bring in a gurney, um, and she told my parents, deténganlo, um, hold him down. And my parents were so young um, that they just listened. And so my mom and my dad held me down as they strapped me to a gurney and rolled me into my first grade classroom. <clears throat> and so there in a puddle of my own urine is um, where I was introduced to the class as a new student um, my name, of course, is Jose, but the teacher introduced me as Joe. And so from that moment forward, I actually became Joe at school and junior, um, junior at home. My family can't pronounce the J. My mom and my dad can't pronounce the J in English, so they call me junior. And um, it's awesome. And so it wasn't until later in my 20s when I really started owning who I was, um, my Latino-ness, my queerness, my... Um, Mexican-ness, my American-ness, the fact that I was neither well and that um, I was never Mexican enough and never American enough. And, and so all of those things uh, really came to, to see the light of day in terms of my accepting of who I was in my 20s and even into my 30s. And, and that's when I started remembering, like my mom taught me how to read and write in Spanish and she taught me my full name. Uh, mi nombre es Jose Luis Medina Hernández Franco López Jr. And then, of course, I added the Diaz Cruz when I uh, became married, when I got married to my husband, retired U.S. Army Sergeant Major um, Alvin Antonio Diaz Cruz. And so what does it look like for a school to create access to those kids that have been marginalized? Um, it looks like talking about the crap that we have made our students and the families we serve endure for decades and decades and decades where even today um, teachers refer to students in derogatory terms sometimes because, you know, we know that most teachers are great people, but once in a while we have teachers that really shouldn't be in the classroom because they call the stu the, their students the N-word. I mean, we just are seeing that all over the news in social media in California or in Texas where a teacher tweeted um, last year that she wanted her illegal immigrant students to be removed from her classroom. I mean, we have to talk about the fact that we all bring bias into the space. And for me, um, that really is one of the reasons why I get up in the morning because I don't have to empathize. Like I was that student. I was that student that really um, was oppressed and marginalized. And so whatever privilege I now have, I know like, I understand that it's my duty to really use that privilege that I am now privy to, to create educational access and pathways to that privilege for others. And that's not just students, that's their families, the communities that they live in. It, it's the teachers uh, of color that, that are Black and Indigenous that sometimes don't have the opportunities to really uh, move forward. And so that's why I wake up every day 
And that's what it might look like in a school to actually engage in those conversations. Additionally, you need to have a plan. Um, as a principal, for me, it was really important that all of the teachers, students, parents that I served, that we all had the same message and shared the same language in terms of equity and social justice. And so those kinds of things don't happen by chance. Like you have to plan for them. You need to ensure that it is the way in which we breathe and live in those campuses, those school campuses, so that we can truly um, collaboratively work to create a more equitable and inclusive educational community. And I really like that you touch upon that that work has to be collaborative. And I think uh, school leaders, many of them do have those intentions and they, they want to be able to do that. So for listeners who are in school leadership and they want to rethink the relevance of their role, what question would you like to see more school leaders reflect on and why? So here's one of the interesting things, right? As a former principal, um, I know, I know my principal and assistant principal and district leadership community and, and we want research and we want best practice, but we also want somebody to facilitate that, um, that information who has actually lived and breathed in those shoes. And so, um, what I always remind my administrator friends is that what we do and say, what we focus on really has such an impact on the services that are facilitated and that are provided to the students in the classroom setting because what we value is actually what gets implemented. And so one of the things that I always do that you might have noticed in my Medina Monday message uh, message videos is that I charge administrators to really be instructional leaders and openly state that they are defenders of equity and social justice, that their job is to cause a desmadre. For those of you that don't speak Spanish, desmadre means desmadre, right? Desmadre is disruption, chaos, because unless we cause that this madre, then the status quo continues to stay in place. And thus we continue to support and maintain systems of oppression. And so that's something that's really, really important for administrators to hear. The other thing that I, I tell administrators all the time is that we have to be in the classrooms co-teaching. I know that as a principal, one of the things that I love to do best is to reserve a couple of hours each week um, to go and co-facilitate a small group um, lesson on math or um, facilitate a guided reading group um, in Spanish. Or when I was at the secondary level, you know, go and provide some tutoring um, while the teacher was facilitating small group instruction. So all of those things are things that I like to push uh, my administrator colleagues to engage in. And I think that because it comes from somebody who's um, had those positions, somebody who's actually not just a researcher, but that has actually experienced um, the difficulties and all of the obstacles that come with being an administrator, I think that they're willing to um, to listen and to reflect on, on the things that I share. Your online presence is just a joy for those of us following you. Um, you know, I find your perspective so inspiring and you've reminded me of just how important it is for school leaders to have the digital literacy piece in place. And I'm wondering when you realized that Twitter and Instagram were going to be tools for your work. So I have to tell you that I was a little bit slow on the Instagram um, bandwagon, Twitter and Facebook, I have used um, readily for a couple of years. And actually, Facebook was my favorite uh, method of communication when I was still um, serving at, uh, at the school and at the district level. Twitter really has opened my eyes because um, 
all of a sudden I found a community that really um, embraced and supported the views that I brought to this space. And I've met some amazing educators via Twitter that, that really are out there on a daily basis trying to create educational access for all kids. Um, Instagram um, was a little bit more, um, it took me a little bit longer to, to kind of get used to it. But once I saw the um, IGTV um, capabilities, I was like, oh my goodness, this is so a toda madre, ¿verdad? Like it is ready for me to utilize. And so I love both Instagram, Twitter. I actually still post on Facebook and I also paste on post, excuse me, on, um, on LinkedIn, because I think that, that it's imperative that we share whatever knowledge and understanding we have of the latest research, um, so that those things can make it back into the classroom. I'm also kind of dramatic, right? So I'm an openly queer, um, educational leader, um, which, you know, in my eyes makes me fabulous. And, you know, if you don't compliment yourself, then who else will? So, Um, I really like to embrace my fabulosity and just show people that you can be yourself. And cuando uno es dueño de sí mismo, when you own who you are, then things just become so much easier. Um, I wish that I could go back and tell my, uh, my teenage version of me, um, you know, you're going to be okay. And so for me, social media and that digital presence really have offered me that opportunity to connect with folks that perhaps um, I didn't have access to. And so if in sharing my story and even sharing who I am, I'm able to help students, parents, community members, teachers, administrators, then damn, you know, what else could you ever yearn for in life if, if you're actually helping people? I'm going to ask now, um, you know, absolutely, you're right. You are fabulous. A lot of what you share is fabulous uh, and is absolutely worth our time. So I'm wondering if you could point us to a few resources that have helped shape you uh, and your vision. Really going to plug um, the Guiding Principles for Dual Language Education, third edition. Um, it's it's one of the books that, that I'm a co-author on, but it really is the resource that is used most widely to implement and... Um, continuously improve dual language programs around the country and internationally. And you can get your free download at www.cal.org forward slash GP3. Or if you'd like a, a hard copy, then you can reach out to Vista Learning Santillana USA and order your, your book version uh, from them. And the reason that I'm, I'm so proud of that resource is that it really does have all of the latest um, in terms of instructional best practice when serving emergent bilingual students, um, specifically in dual language settings, but really um, in any type of setting. And so if you want to read a couple of pages on um, instruction in terms of serving your emergent bilingual or multilingual students, and you go to one of the literature reviews um, and you have a condensed version of all the latest research. If you have questions about assessment and emergent bilingual students, then you go to strand number four and you have five to seven pages on the latest research for that. And so just such a wonderful resource. So an additional resource that has been really helpful um, as an educational leader has been um, Cultural Proficiency, a manual for school leaders. And the reason that I love that resource is that it really offers us um, 
a framework that allows us to engage in conversations about bias, prejudice, um, and dismantling systems of oppression so that all of us are on the same page. Um, the book is written by Lindsay Robbins and Terrell. And one of the things that I love is that their research is grounded in, applica in applicability because um, some of the researchers, um, some of the authors actually were administrators. And so I found the, um, the, the information in the book to be very concrete and that you could very easily apply to a school setting, to an educational setting, to a district setting, so that the, um, the teachers, the parents, the community members, the students really all understand um, the work that we're doing in terms of anti-bias, anti-prejudice work um, in the same fashion. So very, very helpful resource. Thank you so much for both of those recommendations. I'll be sure to keep those links in the show notes. Um, you know, as a queer educator myself, I've come across so many queer educators who have been reluctant to get on the leadership track. And I'm wondering what you would say to a queer educator who thinks leading others is just outside the realm of what is possible in schools today. So I think that one of the reasons why we don't see more queer educators stepping into administrative positions is because it's scary. You know, representation does in fact matter and it's rare to see an openly queer uh, administrator just embracing himself, herself or themselves. And so because it isn't something that we see often, it, it becomes difficult to aspire to those types of positions. And I have to tell you that I personally never saw myself as an administrator. I was um, a teacher for over a decade and I, I actually just wrote an article about this. Like I never was um, mentored. There was not one administrator, one fellow co-teacher that ever said to me like, Jose, you have what it takes to be an administrator. And so I never saw myself in that space. Um, I know that this is only my experience, but a lot of the administrators that I had as a teacher were white heterosexual males. And often white heterosexual males mentor other white heterosexual males. And, and so I didn't fit that bill. And, and some of them were wonderful um, and some of them were less wonderful. Um, some of them were former coaches and, and I just never was able to engage in that dialogue. And so I, in my head, somehow thought that, that being an administrator was just not in, in the cards for me. And I think that that's true for a lot of teachers that think that, that perhaps they want to move into the field of administration. It doesn't help that um, several times during my career, and including the first time that I was offered a teaching position, um, the principal you know, said, congratulations, we're so happy that you're gonna be a part of our staff. And as I was exiting the, the interview, he said, I would offer a piece of advice. Um, you might want to tone it down a little bit, Jose. Our community is very conservative. And I didn't know exactly how to react to that because I didn't know what I was supposed to tone down. Um, it was upon further reflection, obviously, that I realized that he was telling me that I needed to be less um, comfortable with my mannerisms or that perhaps I needed to deepen my voice if I could. Um, later on, um, I had comments like that, again, including when I became uh, an administrator. Um, even now, as a dual language expert, having been invited to school districts once in a while, I'll get somebody who um, has homophobic tendencies um, that will say that I'm a researcher with great work and great strategies and great research, but, you know, I'm too gay. Um, so that tends to happen even now. Um, 
one of the things that, that I promote and that I always say overtly is that the more privilege we have, the more responsible we are to create access to that privilege for others. And I know that as a brown, queer educator, um, educational leader and former administrator, for me, it's imperative that other uh, Black, Indigenous teachers of color, that other um, educators who identify on the LGBTQ plus um, spectrum, that they know that they are exactly uh, the kinds of administrators that we need because we want our students and our families and the communities in which we serve to see themselves in those that collaboratively lie, uh, lead that educational community. And so I, I think it's it's so important that we continue to open doors for others. Um, what would I say to other queer educators? Um, walk in through the door and remember that you need to leave it open so that other uh, people that have been marginalized and oppressed um, are able to come in. I would also say to my white um, queer educators and administrators that your job is not just to open doors for other queer educational leaders, but also um, acknowledge the fact that with racial privilege um, comes benefit. And so even as a queer white educational leader, um, you will walk into spaces that welcome you more than if you were a person of color. And so our job really is to hold that door open so that um, everyone can walk in. So keeping that in mind is extremely important. Amazing, incredible message. For those listeners who aren't following you and they want to know where online they can go to learn more with you, where would you direct them? Um, for those that want to follow me on social media, I would love it. Um, um, my Twitter handle is Jose Medina Junior 89. 89 is the year that I graduated from high school. On Instagram, it's Jose Medina 1000. And um, the website for uh, the educational consulting company that I lead um, is www.drjosemedina.com. And as I mentioned, um, we are serving all over the United States and internationally and helping educators to really um, continue to work on effectively meeting the needs of all students, but specifically those marginalized um, student communities that we so have oppressed in U.S. schools, um, specifically emergent bilingual students, and of course, working to uh, create more equ equitable and inclusive spaces. Um, I look forward to seeing you on social media. And if ever you have any questions, my email is jose at drjosemedina.com. Gracias por la oportunidad. I really appreciate it. Que tengan un buen día y un abrazote. Eh? Adios.